you are here, uh, we're glad you're here. If you're listening online, uh, we know there's some of you who do that as well. Uh, grateful for the chance that you're a part of uh, this journey that we're on. If you haven't been here in a while, uh, we started a series called Journey with Jesus. And if you don't haven't heard any of those, it means you haven't been here in eight weeks. So uh, just if you're tracking at home. All right, so, uh, but this series that we've been talking about is based on a series that, I, um, that Andy Stanley did a year ago. Just the idea of what it would be, be like just to talk about following Jesus between the, the dates of Christmas and Easter. And so that's one of the things we've been talking about. Uh, what does it mean to follow Jesus? We've been challenging uh, the, the uh, North American church as a, as a, just as a whole. This, we have this word we use called Christian that means so many different things to so many different people. Uh, and we said in our earliest weeks that really to be a Christian means to follow Christ. So if... if if we say, hey, yeah, I'm a Christian, and then we read about uh, uh, what it would look like to follow Christ, do our lives line up with that? And so we've, we've encouraged you to, to challenge yourself. Just ask those questions. Am I following Christ? Really? And so we've been looking at some eyewitness uh, reports of what it was like to follow Jesus. Maybe you're like, well, how do we know what it was like to follow Jesus back then? We have eyewitness reports that uh, we can look at. Maybe you've just sort of always considered them, oh, it's just the Bible. But these were documents that were written by a bunch of guys. I just want to put their names up here so you kind of have a little idea of who they were. Um, Matthew was a, an eyewitness follower of Jesus. He saw the things that he wrote down. And the reason he wrote them down is he saw his Savior, die on a cross, and then raise from the dead and thought, man, everything this man said has got to be worth something because nobody can do that. And so after that fact, Matthew wrote all that down. Uh, Mark was, a, we know from the early church fathers, so the people, that's who they called, the, they called them the, the, the people who were after the first apostles. Uh, they, t- they write about how Peter uh, was an, uh, and Mark were associates. They hung out together. And so they, they figure that Mark's writings are what Peter had, had shared with him. And Peter was an eyewitness. So he had seen the events that happened. He was a follower of Jesus. Luke, who also hung out with Mark, uh, but Luke was a physician and a historian. He was a smart guy. He traveled around uh, with these guys and he says he thoroughly thoroughly investigated the eyewitness reports. So if there was an eyewitness, he talked to them and he found out, I want to give a chronological account of this life of Jesus. And so he as well. And then John, uh, another eyewitness follower of Jesus. What's remarkable is that even though there was really incredibly famous people back then, very few of those famous people do we have any literature about. We might have a couple copies or a couple uh, accounts of you know, famous men from back then, like Caesar. But it's incredible the amount of writings that were about this little carpenter named Jesus. Why? Because something happened. And so when you're here this morning, you're like, well, my, is my faith just based on like, oh, I just got to believe, just got just to hope it's true. It's kind of like Santa. If you believe it's true, it's way, way bigger than that. This thing was started on, on uh, evidence and is based on evidence still today. And so Jesus came to start something brand new, something different. We looked a bit, a bit at it last week because different is good, but different sometimes difficult. And, and last week we talked about this idea that we're often tempted to hang out with the people who are like us, we call them our kind. We're, we're, we're tempted to be around the people of our kind. How many of you are sitting with your family members or friends today? Uh-huh, I can see. I mean, and those who didn't raise your hands. People beside you are wondering, you know, what are we enemies? <laughs> you know, you, we, we kind of we gather with our, with our group. How, I, I'm not no show of hands because I'm, I'm scared to see the res- response, but how many of you would have talked to someone you have never met this morning, but you went up to them and you talked to them this morning? Pro- probably not too many. A few, 
because you were at the cafe and they came to you. But uh, probably not too many because we're not, we're not, that's not our normal. That's a little bit awkward for us. And sometimes, uh, as we talked about last week, there's these social taboos that, you know, those people aren't like us, so we don't, we don't tend to hang out with them. What was really, really interesting to find out last week is that Jesus didn't allow social taboos, didn't allow awkwardness to keep him from reaching out to people, knowing he had something they needed. And, you know, I should have titled last week the the, the story of the bad Samaritan because that's kind of, we were familiar with the good Samaritan, but this was a story of a woman who was an outcast in the Jewish culture because she was Samaritan. She was an outcast in her own culture because she had slept with almost everybody's husband. And so she had like five husbands and was on her sixth. And, uh, and so this woman had a sordid past. And here Jesus, is, Jesus reaches out to her. He initiates conversation with her to the chagrin and uh, you know, complete you know, amazement of the disciples. They're like, what is he doing talking to her? We learned last week that because he stepped past the cultural boundary, and he stepped past the awkwardness and the taboos and, and just this idea of treating people who are not like you differently. He reached past that, and as a result of showing her kindness and mercy, she came to know the Savior of the world for herself. Powerful. Her life completely changed, but not just hers. What was really interesting to see is that many people from her village put their trust in Jesus as a result of her story, but as a result of Jesus showing kindness, showing this thing called mercy, so what I want to talk about this morning. Mercy is not a word that we uh, often use. I thought about it myself. I'm like, I, there's not very many times where I've used the word mercy or where I hear it. I was reminded of some things from my past way back when. Anybody remember Uncle Jesse from Full House? You know, what was his famous lines? That's right. The way he says, have mercy. Well, without the crackly voice, he was way cooler than that. But have mercy. Have mercy, right? That's why I remember that. And I remember mercy fights with my brothers. You know, where you grab hands, you try and, you know, make them say mercy. And uh, back in the day when we were kids, my dad taught us this thing. Uh, He he told us it was Dutch, but it's the words fumpkis ganada. Is that Dutch? All the Dutch people are like, what the heck was that? Not Dutch. Maybe we mispronounce it, but he told us it means little girl's mercy. And so we would always say, you got to say fumpkis ganada, right? It was just way cooler than say mercy or say uncle. Let's say it together. You just learned maybe Dutch. All right, so, um, but that's the only times I can think of remembering hearing the word mercy. We just, we just don't talk about it a lot. But, but Jesus, I found, talks about it an awful lot as I've been reading through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John as to what it looks like to follow Jesus. This word or this idea keeps coming up. And I thought I understood it, but I, I, not fully, not fully. Mercy is this idea of showing kindness to, uh, it actually says showing kindness to the miserable, Showing kindness to the ones who may not necessarily deserve kindness from our perspective. But reaching past to those who are in a tough place and showing them kindness. And this is what Jesus continued to do all the time. Uh, And then there was this group of Pharisees. We're just going to have a pop. Oh, well, never mind. Just gave away the answer. Uh, This is a really easy pop quiz. Who did Jesus have the most issues with when he was walking the planet? If you didn't get that, oh boy. Uh, the Pharisees, yeah. The Pharisees were this group of people who, were, who thought they were pretty good. They were rule keepers. They made sure they knew all of God's laws, and then they kept all those laws as, as, as to the best of their ability. They were actually paid to be good. That was their job. Uh, and they were the ones that Jesus never hung out with, and yet they thought, if, if the Messiah comes, he's going to hang out with us because we hang out with our kind. So if, if the Messiah is the best possible person, he's going to hang out with the best possible people. 
And yet we rarely, well, never really see Jesus hanging out with a group of Pharisees. We see him having conversations one-on-one, but he just, they didn't hang out. They weren't, they weren't in, a, in a group together. And uh, Jesus keeps mentioning something that keeps this group on the outskirts of the crowd. Every time there was a crowd, there was a bunch of these guys, but they were always on the outskirts. They were in the crowd, but they weren't part of the in crowd. They were in the crowd, but they weren't part of the in crowd of disciples, of people who follow Jesus from their heart. Something kept them on the perimeter all of the time. And Jesus would try and explain it to them over and over and over. This is what you're missing. Sometimes it was veiled in a story. Other times it was just flat out. This is what you guys are missing. And they never seemed to get it. Others who were in the crowd got it all the time. They, they, understood. They, they, they understood that they needed mercy. The Pharisees were self-righteous. They felt like we don't need mercy, but others would need mercy. And because they knew they needed it, Jesus would extend mercy. There's, Matthew writes about it a lot. He, he wrote about, in Matthew 9, we don't have time to look up the stories, but you can check them up at home. In Matthew 9, he tells about two blind men who can't see, but they hear that Jesus is coming along. And they yell out at the top of their lungs, Son of David, have mercy on us. And as he hears it, it's almost like the, it's just like, uh, uh, the, the moth to the flame. It's like to the magnet of, these people need mercy? Yeah, I'm going to show them mercy. A few chapters later, Jesus is with a crowd, and this woman from Canaan comes in. So she's a Gentile. She's not a Jewish woman. So again, she's kind of got these strikes against her. She comes up and she says to Jesus, Jesus, Master, have mercy on me. And they're all like, what are you talking to him for? And she's like, please. Please, I know I'm not supposed to talk to you, but have mercy on me. I have a daughter who's possessed by a demon. And it, it, I, I don't, I'm at my wit's end. Would you have mercy on me and do something for my daughter? And Jesus kind of makes this statement like, ah, you know what? I, I didn't, my time for the Gentiles is not yet. And she's like, yeah, but she makes this reference. She's like, even the dogs get to eat the crumbs off the, table, off the floor. You know, even the dogs get to eat the crumbs in the master's home. And, she, and he's like, Wow. I mean, you're, you're, just, you're just so grabbing on my heart with your desire for mercy. It's like, you know what? Yeah, I'm going to heal your daughter and grants mercy. A couple of chapters later, there's a man who comes to Jesus, and we talked about him a few weeks ago, and he said, the, the, my son has a demon that keeps throwing him into the fire to kill him, throwing him into the water. He's like, Jesus, have mercy on me. And Jesus has mercy on each of these cases and does something for them, reaches out with kindness to those who find themselves in miserable situations, regardless of how they got there, or regardless of what everyone else around him thought, which is powerful. Because the ones, when the, when the Canaanite woman came, they'd be like, stay away from us. She's a, you know, we, don't, we don't want her anywhere near us. You know, a demon-possessed boy, we don't want that anywhere near us. And Jesus is like, fellas, come on. This is why we're here. And he reaches across the boundary and extends mercy. But the Pharisees never seemed to get it. They, they never understood that, that that's what they needed. Because they thought they were okay. They didn't think we need God's mercy. We're doing pretty good on our own. They judged everything based on their behavior. They would look at, well, I'm pretty good at keeping the rules. Jesus, you see me in church? I was there Sunday morning. I've actually been there every Sunday morning. I've been there for the whole series. You know, I, I'm doing pretty good. You know, Jesus, I, I, gave, I gave money in the offering. I'm doing pretty good. And they would measure themselves by that. You know, they, would, they wouldn't necessarily say it. Sometimes they would, but they would look out and think, oh, it's, you know, those people who are, you know, those sinners who aren't in church. You know, those, those people, those people who live their lives in such a, such a mess. We don't talk to, we're not like those people. 
These encounters would keep happening where Jesus would recognize it in their lives, point it out in their lives, and they would be like, we don't know what you're talking about. Here's a few. Matthew chapter 9, verse 10. It says, later, Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. And that's, uh, here's Matthew's writing, you know, he's writing, hey, invited tax collectors like me and then disreputable sinners. But it says, when the Pharisees saw it, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with such scum? And when Jesus heard it, he said, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. Have you ever pictured what that, that conversation looked like? You know, Jesus is hanging out with Matthew at his house. They're sitting around the table. They're, they're, they're hanging out together. And all of a sudden, you know, the disciples come, and, I mean, the Pharisees come. They don't ask Jesus the question because they're not even going to go into the house where this, these, these heathens are partying. They're not even going to go there. That's crossing the boundary. So they're out at the outside by the door and they're like, they talk to the nearest disciple. Hey, psst, what is he doing? Why is Jesus hanging out with those people? Why is he hanging out with the scum? Kind of the whisper goes through, but... Jesus just simply hears it. He's like, he hears it. And in, in this crowd of people, he shouts over to them. You know, he says, hey, I didn't come for those who think they're righteous. I came for those who know they're sick. Can you imagine what the people sitting around him are thinking? What are you, what, Jesus, what are you calling us sick? You know, what do you mean we're the sick ones? You know, I thought we were buddies and we're partying. You, you tell, he's yelling across, I came for the sick people. They're just like, What? Yeah, I'm here for the tax collectors and the disreputable sinners. And like, who are you calling disreputable? And I can just imagine Jesus having this conversation with them. You know, they're, they're sitting there saying, who are you calling sick? And he's like, come on, Matthew. I just asked you to leave a tax collector's booth. Everyone who looks at you, what do they think? Eh, they think I'm a traitor. Right, but I invited you in. Yeah. How'd you get so rich, all you other tax collectors? We s- stole your mama raised you that way? No. You know, and, and what about all these women hanging around here? Where'd they come from? Disreputable places. Right, so are you guys sick? Yeah, we're sick. And he says, Jesus, like, but I came for the sick. Hey, high fives, we're sick. Jesus came for us, right? We, we never pictured what that must have felt like to be in that conversation. And Jesus simply says, I, I came for the sinner. Sinner's not a word we'd love to describe ourselves with. But in this situation, it's probably better to be considered a sinner than to be considered someone who's self-righteous. Because Jesus had lots to do with the sinners, and he didn't have much to do with them. The people who were nothing like Jesus liked being with Jesus. Do the people who are nothing like Jesus like being with you? Why did they like being with him so much? It's this thing of mercy. He says to them, he shouts out to the Pharisees, listen, I, I didn't come for those who you know, think they're all, they've got it all together. I came for those who know that they're sick. And then he's, he tells them to leave. But before he does, he basically tosses one more thought to them. He's like, hey, listen, I want you guys to go. But while you're going, I want you to go and learn the meaning of this scripture. I want you to show mercy, not not uh, offer sacrifices. That was a scripture from Hosea 6.6. Scripture that these guys had memorized. They were paid to memorize. So Jesus is like, hey, I want you to go learn something. Like, we already know that. We already know that. He says, he says, then Jesus says, for I have come to call, um, or to call not those who think they're righteous, but those who know they are sinners. Here's, here's what Jesus says to these guys. And, and they, they think about it. And they think about this quote, I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. And they're like, we know that verse. We know that Hosea is the one who said it. And actually, Hosea was quoting God. And now Jesus is 
saying that that's his quote. He's like, he's quoting as if he's God. And this drives them crazy. And so they keep following him because they want to they trap him. They want to find out what he's up to. A few chapters later, they're still following Jesus around. They're in the crowd. And the disciples, we talked about this a number of weeks ago, are walking along on a Sabbath day, basically like their Sunday. And they're walking along in a grain field, and they're hungry, and they pick a few uh, pieces of grain. They start rubbing in their hands. And they're having a snack. And the Pharisees are right there. We got you. Finally, we got you. You're breaking the law because that's harvesting on the Sabbath. Like, we're not harvesting, we're having a snack. He's like, nope, that's harvesting. And we, we don't harvest on the Sabbath, so we're better than your disciples, Jesus. What, why are you hanging out with them and not with us? And here's what Jesus says to them, Matthew 12, verse 7. He says, you wouldn't have condemned my innocent disciples if you knew the meaning of the scripture. And they're like, what scripture? He's like, the one I told you just a couple of days ago to go and learn the meaning of. I want you to show mercy not offer sacrifices. I want you to show mercy, not behave a certain way. If you're a follower of me, it's not about a behavior. It's about the way you treat people. He would later tell his disciples, my only command for you is, would you love other people the way I love you? That's a pretty tough one all on its own. Just love people, show mercy to people. The Pharisees would try and trap him. They'd ask him tough questions and he'd answer with stories. One day, one of these guys who was an expert in the law came up to Jesus and said, Jesus, how can I inherit eternal life? What can I do to earn it? Because I'm a pretty good person, but what can I do to earn it? And he asked some, some questions in return. You know, what's the greatest commands? He's like, well, you know, he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. And he asked him, well, who's the neighbor? And he tells him that famous story, this one. Anybody know this story? The Good Samaritan. The story of the Good Samaritan. See, we've probably heard the story. You might want to zone out as you heard it. These people had never heard it before. They're like, Jesus, how do I inherit eternal life? And who's the neighbor? And so Jesus is like, let me tell you a story. There was a Jewish guy, probably like one of you guys. He's wandering down. He gets beat up on the road to to, uh, Jericho. And he's left for dead. They take all his clothes. They take everything. And he says, you know what? Along Along comes the pastor. He takes a look and he's like, ooh, that guy looks like he's in in real trouble. But I got to go preach. You know, I got to go, I got, I got a service. It's like 940, I got to be there. And you laugh. Because we don't ever picture it as us. But Jesus was saying, I, I want you to picture this. And so the Pharisees are listening. He's like, the priest goes by, that, that's, that's us. And he says, and then, and then the, the temple servant goes by. And he looks and he's like, ooh, that guy looks like he's in trouble. But I got to serve in the cafe. I can't have blood on my hands. I can't help. I got to work in kids ministry. I got to, I got to do whatever it is. He says, he points it out and they're listening thinking, he's making us look really bad. And they're like, well, how does this story end? And then Jesus says, but then a despised Samaritan comes along and they're thinking, oh, I can't wait. If those guys just avoided him, the Samaritan's probably just going to finish him off, you know, and probably, you know, kill him. That's what the despised Samaritan would do. And Jesus says something completely opposite. You know the story that the Samaritan gets down gets off his donkey, gets down, dresses his wounds, puts him on the donkey, takes him to an inn, stays with him all night, pays the innkeeper extra money to take care of him after he leaves. And then Jesus says at the end of the story, who is the neighbor? And the guy is so close. He says, the one who showed him mercy. Jesus, exactly. Now go and do the same. I wish they had gone and done the same, but they didn't. They went, actually, instead of showing mercy, they all got in a huddle. And they said, okay, that question didn't work. Let's ask them other ones. 
And so the Pharisees are like, okay, here's a good one. They send him over. Matthew 22, you should read the whole thing. They just, one after another, they send a Pharisee, like, hey, should we pay taxes to Caesar? And Jesus gives him his answer. He's like, oh, man. It's like, oh, we tried, we tried. And the Sadducees are like, you Pharisees don't know anything. We're the ones who know. The Sadducees go up and they're like, hey, Jesus, how about this? And he's like, he answers that question. They're like, oh, man, tail between their legs. Okay, well, Pharisees, you guys go again. So they send another one out. Hey, Jesus, what do you think of this? And he's like, okay. I know you guys are sending me. He just tells the whole, the whole lot of them. He's like, who do you think I am? Who do you think the Son of Man is? And, and he begins to explain to them and, and, and answers a question and asks them questions they can't answer. And so they're like, okay, fine. This guy's just smarter than us. We're just going to leave it alone. We're not going to ask him any more questions. And then Jesus, in Matthew 23, just with the crowd all around, starts to just tell them off. He's like, listen, you guys, he says, woe to you Pharisees, or, you know, sorrow's coming to you Pharisees, because you're all about the show. You're all about the outside. You're all about this stuff. He says, you guys, you guys have, you're the doorkeeper for the kingdom of God. You're the ones who could open the door for people to come into the kingdom, and you slam it shut in their faces. He says, just because by being religious, you don't actually allow anybody who really needs to come in, to come in at all. And then in verse 23, Matthew 23, he says to them, what sorrow awaits you? He says, because you're, you, you Pharisees, you hypocrites. What a, not a nice word. He says, you're careful to tithe or give 10% of the tiniest income from your herb gardens, but you ignore the more important aspects of the law. Like what? Like justice, like mercy, like faith. You should tithe, yes, but don't neglect the more important things. See, they were trying to trap Jesus with their questions. And he basically turns around to tell them in Matthew 23, you're trying to trap me, but you're actually trapped yourself. He says, you hold so tightly to things, and those things you hold so tightly to have actually trapped you. They're actually a bondage to you, and freedom is just on the other side, but you've got to let that go. You've got to let it go. You're holding on so tightly to things, and it's trapped you. I was reminded of a, back, in, back in the day when I heard the story of how they used to trap monkeys in the jungle. They would take a gourd, and they would put a little hole in the gourd. And I thought, man, maybe this is just a story, but I looked it up, and we have video footage of it. They, uh, they'd put a gourd with some fruit in it, and they'd have a little hole, big enough for the monkey's hand to get through like this. But once he grabs it, he can't get his fist out. And so the monkeys, they would just go and stick their hand in and try and get it out, but they will never let go of the, uh, of the, of the treats on the inside, the nuts or the fruits. They, they, they hold on so tightly to it that as they're holding on tightly, it doesn't really take too much for a couple of people just to walk up, trap them, monkey for dinner. See, they don't realize all they got to do is let go. All they got to do is let go of the things that they're holding so tightly to and simply bridge this gap to offer mercy. You know, we've heard stories before like the one I just told you. Or maybe you've heard an old joke before like why the chicken crossed the road and you're like, ah, you know, you, you begin to tune out. And sometimes, you know, uh, and I would encourage you to tune back in. Maybe for you, you just, you zone out sometimes. Um, there's, uh, have you met people who tell you the same story over and over and over? And you kind of zone out as they're telling the story because they're like, oh, I've heard this one. Or they tell you the same prayer request over and over and over. Pastors never zone out, I promise. But we zone out. And I want to leave you with one last story this morning. But I challenge and encourage you, don't zone out if you've heard this one before, because I think there's something at the end of it that may be the thing you need to hear this morning to, to adjust your life moving forward as we follow Jesus. And here's, here's the thought. Jesus was having a conversation with his disciples. He had been talking with all these guys. Matthew writes it down. He was there. 
<laughs> I love Matthew because he just totally outs Peter. You know, as they're sitting there, he, they don't write about these guys as if they were perfect people. They write about them as if they were real people because they are real people. And so they're sitting there and then they're talking about what it's like to follow Jesus and, and about forgiveness. And, and all of a sudden, Peter's like, hey, Jesus, I have a question. Uh, how many times, you know, am I supposed to forgive somebody who wronged me? Like seven times? That idea of like, I'm pretty good. I, I forgave somebody seven times. Like, that's pretty good. And Jesus is like, that same thought, Peter, that's a self-righteous way of looking at things. He says, not seven times, it's 70 times seven. And Jesus then answers and tells him a story that we've heard before. See, when we think about mercy and offering kindness with the Good Samaritan, maybe somebody's face came to your mind of somebody you know who's kind of down and out, somebody you could reach out to, and you're like, yeah, you know, there's, there's some people that maybe I could help out or, you know, give them some money for groceries or I could help them out in their time of need. Maybe some of you are sitting here and no faces came to mind. You're like, I don't, I don't know anybody who needs mercy. I, I, don't, I don't know anybody who's kind of, you know, that I'm close enough to that, that I would have to bridge that gap. I, I don't really know. And in this story, Jesus shows us something that every even Jesus follower, not just the Pharisees, but the Jesus followers, may have so close and we don't even realize they need mercy. Verse 22, it says this, No, not seven times, but 70 times seven. And so he says, Therefore the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with his servants who had borrowed money from him. In the process, one of his debtors was brought up who owed him millions of dollars. He couldn't pay. So his master ordered that he be sold along with his wife and his children and everything he owned to pay the debt. Can you just picture that for a minute? I mean, really picture it. Here a king, Jesus is exaggerating the, the, the numbers just for the effect. But he says, just picture a king, somebody really, really important. He calls in everybody. He's like, everyone who owes me money, it's time for us to talk. And they all line up outside of his door. And one by one they come in and one by one they leave with this realization of, oh, I've got to pay this debt. I've got to go and work harder than I've worked before. And you see them coming out of the doors. And then there's this one guy. He's waiting his turn in line. He's like, oh, you know, man, I know I owe a lot. I know, I know I owe a lot. I hope, I hope that he's going to be merciful to me. I hope I'll have enough time to pay it. And he steps in and the king says to him, hey, you, you owe me a million dollars. He's like, I know, I know I owe you a lot. Can't pay right now, but if you give me a little bit more time, just a little thinking in his head, maybe, just maybe, miraculous things can happen and I can pay off this million dollars. He's actually, no, time's up. You know, you, you have no more time. So I need you to pay the debt and I need you to pay it now. And I'm actually going to sell your wife and your children and everything you own. He's like, what do you mean? Why them? Not, not my wife, not, not my kids. Man, just picturing this moment, like your wife and your kids. This guy is like, no. They, they didn't do anything. It was me who spent all the money on lotto tickets. It wasn't them. He's like, please, 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 for the sake of them, please, please, just give me a little bit more time. It's not their fault. Just give me a little bit. Have mercy on me. We know the story. The king says to him, he sees him in his miserable state and says, you know what? Okay, not only am I going to just give you more time, I'm actually going to forgive your debt. Such compassion saying, I'm just going to forgive it. You don't, you don't owe me anything. Can you imagine? He's like in shock. Like, what, I, I don't owe the millions. I, I don't have to even pay. I, don't, I never have to come back here again. No, you're, you're free to go. Can you imagine him walking out of those doors? Ha, I'm free to go. I'm debt free. Some of you have no idea what that 
would feel like. Can you imagine even your debt? To be debt-free, I'm debt-free. And as he's walking along, he's leaving, he's like, wait a second, hey, hey you, I believe you owe me some money. You borrowed $100. I need it right now, actually. And the guy is like, what? What do you mean? And he says to him, hey, wait, I don't have the $100. I got to pay the king first. I don't have the money to pay you. And what does he say? He says the exact same words. Please give me a little bit of time. Give me a little bit of time and I'll pay it back. And the man who stands there, he says, no. He says, it says, you know, he begged and he pleaded. But what does it say that the man does? It says he grabs him by the throat. I won't do that this morning. I don't want to preach next week from prison. But it says he grabs him by the throat. And they're all like, they're all, the people listening are all like horrified. Like, what? Like, he, he's choking him? And, and most of them would have done the same thing. It wasn't illegal to do that back then. It wasn't like he was breaking the law by choking this guy to get his money back. But the problem was that they all knew that this guy had been forgiven so much and had now not, was now taking it out on somebody else. And what do they do? They go tell the king. And you know the rest of the, the story. As they go tell the king, the king calls that servant back in. Hey, hey, you, come on back in here for a minute. We got to talk. And he says, he says to them this. I just want to read it. He says in verse 32, the king called in the man who had been forgiven the debt and said, you evil servant, I forgave you a tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. He said this, shouldn't you have had mercy? Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant? Peter's listening to this. I forgave him seven times. He's like, that's not what this is about. He's like, there's been so much mercy on you. Shouldn't you have mercy on on him just as I've had mercy on you? Then the angry king sent the men to prison to be tortured until he paid his entire debt. Peter and the disciples were like, whoa, that's harsh. And Jesus probably looks him right in the eye and says this, that's what my heavenly father is going to do to you, Peter. If you, don't, if you refuse to, um, to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. What's the, the deal? The man in the story held so tightly to what this guy owed him. Held so tightly, not realizing it's a trap. Holding so tightly to, and Jesus is comparing it to forgiveness. He's saying holding tightly, so tightly to what this person has wronged you. How many of you have things that you're just holding on to? Somebody's wronged you and you're holding on to it so tightly, thinking, oh, I'll get them back someday. I'll get them back someday. That person owes me money. That person, like, they, they did me wrong. And you don't realize it's a, it's a trap. Holding on to the trap. Jesus was saying to his followers, go, not just learn to understand, but go and show mercy is the thing about this, you know, and we've heard the story before. Have you ever thought about how expensive mercy is? Mercy's expensive. Don't worry, they're just leaving to go get coffee. They're not offended. <laughs> they're, they're making coffee for you. Um, have you thought about how expensive mercy is? Think about the Good Samaritan. For him to show mercy, he actually had to stop what he was doing. He had plans. That's why he was going down that road. He stopped along the road to help someone else. It cost him his time. Cost him his, uh, you know, he had, to, he had to walk the rest of the way. The guy got to ride on the donkey the rest of the way. It cost him something. It cost him more when he had to spend a night in a hotel that he wasn't planning on. He wasted a whole night's sleep, which he wasn't planning on. He had to pay two, uh, two silver coins, which he wasn't planning on. Why? All because he was reaching out in mercy. And sometimes I think, man, mercy's expensive. Like if you're a boss here, how, like how much mercy do we show someone before it's, you know, it's, it just doesn't seem like it's right to do that anymore. Like your, 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 your employee, Caleb, shows up late every single day. You're like, how often do I show that kid mercy? 
You know, or, you know, as a parent, you're like, my teenager, man, they're just so rebellious. They just keep coming home after, how, after curfew. How much mercy do I show them? Maybe it's your spouse and you think, man, like he just doesn't get it. He keeps doing the same thing over and over and over. How much mercy can I show him? Maybe it's like one of your friends that's always needs money. You're like, oh, I just, like how much mercy do I keep giving them? Because am I just enabling them? How much mercy is irresponsible? And we, we ask these questions, when is it too much mercy? And the answer is, I have no idea. I have no idea. Because I don't know in each and every one of those situations how much mercy. And they're difficult. Because if you're in those situations of offering forgiveness, offering mercy, you're like, I can't, I can't forgive them again and let them hurt me again. How much forgiveness do I owe? Here's what Jesus said to Peter, and I think it's what he says to us. He says, I'm not measuring how much mercy. I just want you to think about it in this light. When you're in the spot to offer mercy or offer forgiveness, to think about how much you've been forgiven, how much mercy has been given to you, rather than what is owed to you. And for many of us, we think when somebody's wronged us, there's something way better than mercy. It's called revenge. Revenge seems so sweet. We plan it in our heads. And maybe I got two movie things just to help you remember this. How many of you remember this guy? Princess Bride. Say it together. Hello, my name is... You killed my father. Prepare to die. The whole movie, this guy is waiting for that moment where he can say this face-to-face to somebody. You killed my father. Prepare to die. And I know so many Christians who walk around with thoughts like, oh, they cheated on me. Prepare to die. I can't wait to tell them. And you're not thinking you're going to kill them, but you're going to kill that relationship. Oh, that guy owes me money. Oh, you know, prepare to die. You know, it's like they walk around with that thing holding so tightly to an offense. Like, oh, if only I could get him back. But he's been dead for 20 years. So true. How many times I have it where it's like, oh, that's what was done to me. And oh, it's just still there. And they hold so tightly, not realizing they're a trap. From another movie, and in the words of Elsa, you just got to let it go. You just got to let it go. If you need to sing it, sing it. But like, let it, let it go. Because by letting go of what you're holding so tightly to, you actually get to experience freedom. So many times people hold on so tightly to what they think they've been owed that they miss out on the freedom that they've been shown. Every once in a while, every once in a while, we see amazing examples of this. Because for each of us, we each have our own things. We each have our own forgiveness issues to work through and walk through. I want to leave you with two examples as we, as we close up today. Number one is a, a woman named Rachel Den Hollander. Rachel was uh, in the spotlight a year ago because she was the first one to speak out about a man named Larry Nasser. Larry Nasser was the coach of the, the U.S. Um, gymnastics team. And she was the one who first said, hey, this man has been abusing me for years. And no one has come to my no one has come to my defense or to my help. She's the first one to speak up. And as a result of that, over 150 other girls came and said, he's done the same thing to me. And as they went to trial, which they should, they went to the trial, and as the whole trial process went through, at the end of the trial, they had their, their witness impact statements. And all of the girls shared, and Rachel's was the last one. She's now a lawyer. She's a mother of three children. She's a believer, follower of Jesus Christ. Hers was the last one, and she began to speak. Her testimony was about 30 minutes, but I want to share two, just two minutes of it with you. She said this to him as she looked across the table at the person who had, who had so wronged her and said these words, Larry, in our early hearings, 
You brought your Bible into the courtroom and you've spoken of praying for forgiveness. And so it's on that basis that I appeal to you today. If you read the Bible that you carry, you know the definition of sacrificial love portrayed is of God himself loving so sacrificially that he gave up everything to pay a penalty for the sin he did not commit. And by his grace, I too choose to love this way. You spoke of praying for forgiveness, but Larry, if you've read the Bible you carry, you know that forgiveness does not come from doing good things. As if good deeds can erase what you've done, it comes from repentance, which requires facing and acknowledging the truth about what you've done in all of its utter depravity and horror, without mitigation, without excuse, without acting as if good deeds can erase what you've seen in this courtroom today. If the Bible that you carry says it's better for a stone to be tied around your neck and that you should be thrown into a lake for even making one child stumble, how much more for you? You've damaged hundreds. The Bible you speak about carries a final judgment where all God's wrath and eternal terror is poured out on men like you. Should you ever reach the point of truly facing what you've done, the guilt will be crushing. And that is what makes the gospel of Christ so sweet. Because it extends grace and hope and mercy where none should be found. And it will be there for you. She says, I pray that you experience the soul-crushing weight of guilt so that you may someday experience true repentance and true forgiveness from God, which you need far more than forgiveness from me, though I extend that to you as well. Rarely, rarely do we see people who so fully understand that I have been forgiven so much that I can offer and open the door of mercy to someone who's wronged me so greatly. I think she just follows our great example of Jesus, who did nothing wrong, lived a sinless life, yet took my sin, your sin, my punishment, your punishment on a cruel cross for each and every one of us. That's what he kept saying. You know, to Jesus kept saying to these people who were around there, you know, you need to show mercy. But what he was really prompting them with was one step bigger than that. Because you can't show, you can't offer what you haven't experienced. You can't give what you don't have. Matthew wrote a lot about mercy because he experienced it. He was sitting at that table. Jesus had offered him mercy and he knew. So what about you and what about me? Have you experienced mercy, really? Have you experienced his forgiveness, really? And if so, why are you holding on so tightly to something someone else owes you? But for those of you who do know you're holding on to something so tightly, maybe you haven't realized that you actually are in need of mercy. See, that was a thing. The Pharisees needed to realize that they needed mercy. They didn't realize it. Luke chapter 18, verse 11, Jesus described the Pharisees by saying this. They would pray, I thank you, God, that I'm not like other people, not like other sinners, like cheaters and adulterers. I'm certainly not like the tax collector. They compare themselves to the wrong person, and we do it all the time. We compare ourselves to others who we think are less than us so we feel better about ourselves or we're tempted to. Not realizing that Jesus says you compare yourself to the wrong person. Just line up your life against the law of God. You ever stolen? (laughs) You ever lied? You ever cheated? You ever had a bad thought in your heart, in your head? Man, every one of us has sinned. Every one of us needs mercy. Every one of us is actually in that place. Whether we realize it or not, is that if we've got to stand in a courtroom for our sins, We're no better than Larry Nassar. No better. Simply because we've all committed things. 
Maybe we don't judge them the same, but sin is the same across the board. Its consequences are different, but its detriment to our souls and our, uh, our, our very beings is the same. And Jesus is simply saying each and every person needs mercy. And that's what makes John 3.16 so amazing. See, we read this and we know it and we think, ah, whatever. But he just said, for God so loved the world, the world that needs mercy, the broken world so much that he gave his one and only son. Not that everyone gets saved and everyone gets off scot-free. That's not what it says. It says everyone who trusts in him, everyone who believes, who puts their trust in him for mercy, realizing I'm not good enough on my own. I'm just not. I'm putting my trust in him. So those are the ones who inherit eternal life. And they're the ones who live it out. Like Hebrews says, you enter the throne room of grace every day for brand new mercy every day. As we end today, how many marriages would look different today if mercy had been shown a while back? Some of your stories I know, and I can just tell you, it's never too late to show mercy. Some of you have shown mercy, and as a result, you're here with your spouse today. How many parents and teenagers' lives would be different if mercy had been shown somewhere? How many friendships, relationships, how many, how many people wouldn't hate the church so much if we had just done what Jesus said and showed mercy sometimes with situations we don't fully understand? The call for us as Jesus followers is to go out and show mercy offer forgiveness, not because they deserve it in our eyes, but because we've been shown so much mercy. We've been shown so much forgiveness. So are you following Christ? Really? Am I following Christ? Really? Are you holding on to something that you need to be letting go? I'm just going to leave you and Holy Spirit to figure that one out this week. Can we pray? Lord, thanks for this morning. Thank you for your word. Thanks for Matthew and Luke and John guys who would write down the stuff that you said. Thank you for those who gave their lives to make sure that, that that would remain till this day. Thanks for those who translate into a language we can understand, but Holy Spirit, thank you for making it clear in our hearts what you are speaking to each and every one of us. This morning, we put our hearts on the table, Lord. Would you look deep into us, including me? Would you show us where we're missing in this area and where we need to, to learn and understand what it means to show mercy? Fathers, we see people this week, maybe people we see every day, but... I pray that we see them this week the way you see them. As we're prompted by your spirit to show mercy this week, we take the, be courageous to reach across those, those barriers to simply be your hands and feet. I love you, Jesus. Thank you for loving us first. Thank you, thank you, thank you for the grace and mercy you've shown us. We live in that and that freedom this week. In your name I pray, amen.